Hi, welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast exploring and celebrating the creative process in the arts, life and business. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. Today, I'm talking to novelist Terence Bailey about his paranormal thriller, Dead in Time, and how he uses his own experiences in his fiction. Hi everyone, I'm here in my kitchen um, with my good friend Terry, um, known to the public as Terence Bailey, author of Dead in Time. And, uh, well, let's get started. Sure. So, Terence Bailey, can you tell us about your new novel, Dead in Time? Well, Dead in Time is the first novel in what I'm calling the Sarah Jones cycle. It is what's known as a paranormal thriller. So it is a crime novel with certain odd elements to it. Uh, Specifically, in this case, uh, Sarah Jones is a psychiatrist and a medical doctor who flees London after a number of unpleasant incidents back to her home in Mid-Wales. And there she gets caught up in a murder investigation with a killer who believes himself to be psychic. And that's where the story begins, and that's where the series begins. Oh, psychic. psychic. So he believes himself to, to know the future? Yes. Um, it's all tied in with why he's killing people. He, he kills people because he believes he is preventing future atrocities. Right. So now when I first met you, and, and this is a, dis, uh, a disclosure here, but uh, ter- Terry and I have known each other for, for many, many years. We met way, way back. And one of the first things um, uh, I remember me, uh, when, when I met Terry was that we went back to his flat and he did some hypnosis psychic-y thing. Oh, God, it was obnoxious, <laughs> wasn't it? Um, and that was great fun. And I thought, oh, what an intriguing fellow. And I needed to get to know him. <laughs> so now, Terence Bailey. Mm. Um, um, uh, Dead in Time is a paranormal thriller, yeah, and yeah. you drew from your own life experiences for the novel. And that's pretty unusual, and that's something quite unusual about you, that you've got this paranormal psychic past. So tell me more about that. Well, it's difficult to talk about because I tend to think of myself as a rationalist. <laughs> You know, I buy all the scientific arguments. You know, I, I read Christopher Hitchens. I read Dawkins. You know, I, I, I tend to believe in the scientific method and I consider myself a skeptic. And I had a psychic uncle. Okay. And I know those two things don't tend to go hand in hand. When I was a teenager, he was living on the outskirts of Los Angeles. So I would um, fly to Los Angeles in the summers to spend time with him and my aunt. And my uncle would go to this hypnosis circle, which was a very interesting place. It was run by this ex-San Bernardino police force officer named Al. And Al had a good Missouri accent. And he was the least likely guy you'd think to be talking about spirit guides and regressing into past lives. But Al apparently became really interested in hypnosis when he was on the San Bernardino police force. And they brought in a hypnotic regressor and psychic to work on a particular case. And he was fascinated by this. So he started to learn himself 
and he became a really well-respected parapsychologist. Now I understand parapsychologists aren't well-respected, <laughs> but within his circle, he was very, very well-respected. And he ran this hypnosis circle. So my uncle would take me to the hypnosis thing every, uh, every week, and I became a fairly proficient hypnotist. And as you pointed out, I think I probably tried it out on you at some <laughs> point. Um, but the other thing about those summer experiences was that Al and my uncle would get into hugely wide-ranging topics of, of psychic phenomenon and afterlife and stuff I still don't necessarily believe in. But what I can say is my uncle was psychic. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't know what that means, but I do know things like one of the summers I was in California, he got very upset and he said, I really, really hate to see this with a kid, but somebody you know is going to die. Wow. And I said, oh, wait, wait a minute, what do you mean? I know, your age, a boy, your age. I said, uh, is he a friend of mine? And my uncle th thought for a minute and said, you know him. He's not a friend, but you know him. And then a few weeks after I got back from California that year, my mother read me the obituary of a classmate uh, in the newspaper. He had drowned um, somewhere, Panama, I think it was. Now, th those kind of experiences, and there were others, are, yes, they're circumstantial, yes, they're cherry-picking. I know all the arguments against believing things like that. But when you were there and when it happened, it's, it's a very difficult thing to deny. But because I'm also more in the skeptic camp than I am in the, uh, the new agey camp, let's say, it brings on a kind of conflict of, of what I actually believe and how I can hold two seemingly divergent opinions at the same time. And that is something that I used in Dead in Time, when Sarah Jones, who is a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, an expert on the occult, but from a skeptical point of view, starts to come up against something that she can't necessarily explain. And that was my outlet in the novel for exploring some of the things that I've thought about in my life. So the novel um, includes not just the story, the exciting story that one can just follow along and be drawn into this thriller, but it um, invites the uh, reader to think about some of these uh, perhaps abnormal, paranormal things uh, and t to discuss those issues as well? Well, I hope some would. I've had a number of reactions to the book. I mean, a lot of people have said to me, I didn't know there was a psychic element when I started reading it. But once I realized there was and just decided to accept that, I went with the flow and the book takes over. I think that's probably the best way to read it if it also raises some issues of... And I think the issues it raises are more of morality than belief in, in psychic powers. Almost... In the Hitchcock term, the, the psychic powers are, are the MacGuffin. You know, they're yeah. what drives the, 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 the plot forward. But I think once you've accepted that, it's the moral issues that that basis raises that's the point of debate in the novel. 
So it's the it's an interesting question, isn't it? If you know, if I know that you're going to do something bad, mm. would I be justified in killing you? Oh, precisely. It, it's 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 the Hitler question, isn't it? Could you go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, or would you be killing an innocent baby? You know, it's that kind of moral debate, mm. and it's one that my uh, killer in the novel, Eldon Carson, is his name, thinks he has solved to his own satisfaction. Uh, I think he's a little more confident in that than some other characters in the novel are. Oh, that's quite intriguing, and so. Tell me more about the um, who 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 are the characters uh, in in the novel. There's Sarah Jones. She seems troubled r- running away from her past. Do yes. we learn yes. about that? Uh, we do. Um, Sarah has as um, a fairly strong backstory. Um, she has a very bad past in Mid Wales, which set the course for her entire life. Uh, she then had some more immediate troubling things happen in London. One of them was a bad relationship. And she flees London essentially to get away from the relationship with this uh, detective inspector on the Metropolitan Police uh, whom she was having a relationship with. However, when the crisis in Mid-Wales happens, uh, he volunteers and ends up in Mid-Wales as part of the investigation. Uh, She also has uh, a policewoman friend in Mid Wales who has known her since childhood, uh, who is uh, very much a mother figure and loathes, of course, the, the police inspector um, for obvious reasons. You know, the, the third party who's very defensive of one of the, the people in the relationship will tend to dislike the other person in the relationship. So there's a, a bit of conflict going on there. Because it's a thriller, and it's standard in a thriller to see things through the eyes of the villain as well as the hero, we also get to know quite a bit from Eldon Carson's point of view and what he's doing. So he is a a major point of view character in the novel as well. So it sounds like there's this world of really strong, vivid characters as well as just the the story that pulls you along. Oh, yeah. I I did a reading, in fact, in Bournemouth, couple weeks ago and one of the things I said to the audience there was that when I read crime novels let's say I'm reading a whodunit which my novels are not but as an example the truth is I don't really care whodunit you know you find out in the end and that's all very well but what I read any genre fiction whether it's crime novels or science fiction what I read it for are the characters. I think you read genre fiction because you like hanging out with particular people in a particular world. And I think if the author isn't creating people that you really want to hang out with, he or she isn't doing the job. So, yes, I I think first and foremost, there is an element in Dead in Time and in much of what I write that would be very at home in a television serial. You know, there are, there are characters having their domestic lives and their domestic problems because those are interesting. We want to get to know people as we read. And what interests me is the conflict between the banality of our lives and the horrors that I think we all have to face at various points in our life, whether that is something as extreme as the characters in Dead in Time face or whether it's simply the death of a loved one. We're all going to face things that don't seem to fit 
in the comfort of our day-to-day lives. And I think that's one of the things crime fiction does especially well, is it helps us to understand that odd juxtaposition that happens. I think that you make a very interesting point about crime fiction and and that I think we we can tend to dismiss genre fiction crime fiction um where because it's considered to be sensational mm. but I think the point that you make about um being a character driven drama is that here we are pootling along in our ordinary lives and then something happens something terrible and dramatic and out of this world that is so extreme that it really brings out uh, who we really are, and I think uh, that's why perhaps people love reading these kinds of things, as you say, because it's about you know what would happen if that happened to me. How would I be? Who? How? These friends that I have, the the people in my family, how would they react? And what what kind of darkness would something like that bring out? Absolutely, there is a story guru that um, some of your listeners might have heard of, named Robert McKee. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written a very famous book called Story. And one of the things he talks about is the difference between what he calls characterization and what he calls true character. Characterization is the sum total of all the qualities that we can deduce from a person by looking at them and listening to them. So how well-educated do they seem? How well-dressed are they? What's their accent like? What job do they have? Where do they live? That's all characterization. And that leads us to assume something about a particular character. Then McKee says there's a thing called true character. And essentially that is how a character behaves when they're put under pressure, when they're in a crisis. And from a writer's point of view, characterization and true character should not be the same thing. They should be something of a mismatch. So that when the character is put under pressure, she behaves in a certain way that might be surprising to the reader or the viewer of a movie or TV show, because characterization led you to assume one thing. So immediately what comes to mind is Breaking Bad, and I know that you're a fan and um, we're we're great fans. Um, And it starts off with this mild-mannered chemistry teacher played by Brian Cranston. And I think that was such a genius casting because he had up till then been cast as bumbling suburban dad. And so you see this outward um, characterization of this bumbling uh, chemistry teacher who's really... Um, he's, he's fa- he feels like he's a failure. And then over the course of five seasons, we see his true character emerge. Well, actually, what that is, is character arc. Ah. I'm going to get really nerdy now. <laughs> and to explain to uh, your listeners as well, I also teach screenwriting at universities. So this is the pedantic side of me coming out. <laughs> I would say the, the distinction between characterization and true character there would be Walter's decision to make meth in the first place. The fact that he would do something that would seem to be so totally against his char- his external character. That's the distinction between characterization and true character. Then, where that leads him, the journey that he goes on, and the monster that ultimately Walter White becomes, is character arc. Great. <laughs> 
you're, you're getting a structural lesson. Yeah, here, no, this is great because I think this is one of the things that I'm interested in is the creative process. Mm. That uh, you know, why do I want to talk to you as a writer rather than just hanging out with you as my mate, having a cup of tea? I'm more fun that way. <laughs> is because you know, as as a writer myself and, and being interested in, in in creativity, it's really fascinating for me to dig into um, the creative process, how we tell a story, how we bring elements together like character and and so on. So thank you for that. Um, And I want to pick up on what you were saying about um, Sarah Jones, uh, the main character, the protagonist in Dead in Time, Mm -hmm. starting off in London, but heading back to uh, Wales and Aberystwyth, um, which is where she comes from. Now, uh, and, and picking and linking that with with Breaking Bad and an American TV series, where it's kind of American places seems really sexy, you know, New York, San Francisco, and imagining a detective from New York going down to Tennessee, you know, like in Justified, or currently on Netflix, Ozark, um, and uh, Arizona, where um, uh, where Breaking Bad takes place, but. You know, London to Aberystwyth, unfortunately, there's just a sense that British place names just don't have that global glamour. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to disrespect Aberystwyth, and, and, uh, but that just is that sense uh, of, um, uh, yes, what's glamorous. So can you tell me more about your decision to set it there? Yes, well, Aberystwyth is a lovely place to start with. Um, I know you've been there because I used to live there and you did come to visit yes, me. Yes, and it's beautiful. and I it just it's, it's really beautiful, right by the sea and, and the lovely old buildings. Right, so there are a number of reasons I set it in Aberystwyth. Um, predominantly, it's also set in London. One is simply that because... Dead in Time is a paranormal thriller because there are some odd things in the book. I felt that it needed to be grounded in a very solid, very believable reality. Um, The same way I was saying about domestic situations and, and the horror that comes into domestic life, the setting is that as well. So I had to have a place I could write about convincingly that I knew extremely well. And I was also fortunate that because there is so much beauty in Aberystwyth, it's such a lovely, tranquil, beautiful place, that setting a killer loose there <laughs> is, is a marvelous uh, contrast. And so it worked for me in an, a number of ways. Also, the simple fact that Aberystwyth is so clearly not London. So when Sarah Jones flees London for home and the idea of going going home where you feel that you're away from things I had to choose somewhere that was very different and and should be very calming and reassuring but obviously is not in this novel it makes me think of, of my reasons for uh, setting my two thrillers, The Flame Tree and Mind Game, mm-hmm. in Malaysia. A similar sort of reason in terms of just picking up what I was saying about sexy locations, uh, that when I was writing those books, um, the, the big locations were, you know, John Grisham, big legal thrillers set in the, the, the US and big cities there. You got a lot of um, uh, big city a thriller novel set in London, the financial centre of the world and so on. And I thought, well, what about Malaysia? Um, it always Malaysia always comes up either just as a, a place, uh, it's just mentioned as somewhere far away and exotic and not really um, 
it has no place in the modern world, uh, but it's always have a sense of the kind of exotic, far eastern, you know, Asian mystique sort of thing. So I wanted to set my books um, as being modern legal thrillers in both Malaysia and London. And my heroine in The Flame Tree goes back to Malaysia. And there is a contrast between the the hot tropical landscape and the uh, sleek um, uh, kind of constraints of the concrete uh, uh, city that is London. Mm. And place for me uh, actually was a character. So Malaysia is a character in those books that kind of brings out certain aspects of of the of my of my heroine, um, which she has repressed while she's being a lawyer in London. Um, for you, in setting it in Wales and Aberystwyth, um, was there any sense that of the landscape kind of uh, having um, more than just being you know pretty versus city? Well, I wouldn't think of the landscape as a character in and of itself. I think it's more a case of what it should represent to Sarah and what she wants it to represent to her. Um, part of the story is um, in her past, in Aberystwyth, or just on the outskirts, her parents were murdered. And that is part of the, the backstory of the novel that becomes increasingly important. So, as I said, it determines the course of her life. She goes on to be a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, uh, an expert in some fairly odd things, all tracing back to the trauma that she suffered in her early teens. So she flees from one place to another, from Aberystwyth to London originally, because of the contrast, and then she flees back for the same reason. So it is actually it is the contrast between the two places that's more important to me than any specific character of either. Right, right. And I think what, what's coming through for me is this, this the, the, there seems to be a theme of normal, everyday, what you see on the surface, mm. and then what you don't see, which is potentially quite dark. Mm. Uh, well, yes, it goes, it goes more than that, actually. You're right. But what the theme is, actually... I don't know whether a writer should be spelling out the themes <laughs> of his work to broadcast. I don't know. But uh, the theme of the work really is complicity. The theme of the whole series is complicity. The idea being when you find out things that in that darkness, when you find out things that perhaps you didn't want to know, what is your responsibility then? Uh, and this gets onto a bigger soapbox uh, that I that I like to climb on sometimes. And that is that I think that sometimes when we feel contemptuous of people who have made very hard decisions, and we can feel contemptuous from our sofas watching television and going, oh, they're all corrupt, aren't they? Look at what he's done. Pa. Well, just thank whatever deity you choose to believe in that you weren't in a position where you had to make that choice. And a lot of times I think the reason we don't feel complicit in things is because, by and large, our lives are fairly small. We don't have to feel complicit. We don't have to make those decisions. Other people over there make those decisions. And then we exercise our right to be contemptuous of them. What if you were put in a position where you had to suddenly make an impossible decision? You had to make a choice. And 
wishing desperately that you could unlearn the things you know or unexperience the things that you experienced and go back to your sofa and go back to watching television. But you can't do it because you're now there instead of there. What do you do then? And that's where the issues of complicity come in. What does it mean to be complicit? Do you choose your complicity or does it choose you? Things like that. And we see that in Dead in Time and we see that throughout the uh, Sarah Jones Cycle series. Wow, so quite a big, chewy, meaty, chunky read. We've... I hope not. <laughs> I hope it reads really quickly, actually. But, but in there is all this stuff. Yes. And that seems to me one of the most brilliant things about a good book, that you have those big themes that you can chew over in your own time, mm-hmm. but you've got a fantastic, exciting pace that draws you in, that intrigues you. And so you're flicking through the pages. And at the same time, your brain is working at different levels. Mm-hmm. So fantastic. Um, now, to pick up, you mentioned series. Uh, and so this is the first book. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, You've got an, and a couple of other books coming in the Sarah Jones series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're currently living in South London. Mm-hmm. Um, will South London feature? Oh, it already does. Ah. In the first novel, the detective inspector that I mentioned, his name's Jamie, uh, Jamie lives in Brixton. And I chose that location before I lived in South London. But uh, I have some friends who live in Brixton, and it just seemed an, uh, an appropriate place to put my detective inspector. So um, that doesn't go away. In fact, South London becomes much more important in the, uh, the second book, which I'm just finishing up now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, London in itself, there are, there are many places in London in the second book, certainly, and, and South London's there. <laughs> Great. Being a South London, Londoner myself. Um, so tell us more about this series. What's, what's coming next? Well, I can't say too much without creating massive spoilers from book one, because, Gosh. of course, book two f- comes on directly on the heels of book one. But titles, perhaps. But, okay, the second book is called Blind Spot. Uh, the Sarah Jones Cycle Book 2, and that will be out, published by Accent Press, next February. And the third book in the series is called Small Justice, the Sarah Jones Cycle Book 3, and that will be out um, in February of 2019. Terrific. So So lots to look forward to. (laughs) Great. Uh, So I've been speaking with Terence Bailey, author of Dead in Time, published by Accent Press and available, no doubt, in all good bookshops. Um, What uh, uh, if people want to find out more, uh, where where can they go? Uh, My Facebook page is probably the best place to go. And that's um, at Terence Bailey author. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you, Yang Mei. Creative Conversations is a Tiger Spirit podcast, conceived and presented by Yang Mei Ui. That's me. For the show notes to this episode and to find other podcasts and blog posts all about the creative process, go to the Tiger Spirit website at tigerspirit.co.uk and click through to My World. You can also find me on Facebook by going to bit.ly, that's B-I-T, dot ly forward slash tiger spirit facebook that's all one word and on twitter and instagram i am at tiger spirit uk thanks for listening and see you next time